Free Flint. Thank you for joining us. I'm Arthur Bush, your host. Today's topic is what is a Flintstone? Why do people refer to themselves as Flintstones? And where does it come from? All this and more in our episode today. First person I talked to was Cindy Johns of Carriagetown Ministry. Cindy's a lifelong resident of and I asked her if she was a Flintstone and if she was, what does it mean? You know, there's a lot of people in Flint that, that refer to themselves as I have. What's that mean? I don't know. <laughs> are you I a really Flint, are you a Flintstone? I I assumed it just meant you are from Flint. So but that's all I know. No, I asked you a question. Are you a Flintstone? Um, so what's the term mean? Is it just well, mean you're from it, Flint? It derived from this group of boys that played, young men that played at Michigan State University in 2000 and won the national championship. And the national media started this narrative about them and their town as being tough, resilient, hardworking, and they were winners. That's where the term started. Now, the town has taken that as an identity some sort. You're the only one I've asked out of about 115 people that didn't say they were a Flintstone. Oh, I just didn't know the term. <laughs> okay, so, so let me ask it again. Are you a Flintstone? I would say yes. I would say <laughs> yes. I'm cut from that same resilient, hardworking stock of Flint. Is that how you would describe the city or would you use other words? Um, In addition to that, I would probably grit. Flint has struggled, but it's home. It is turning around. It is being successful, innovative. I see innovation coming in downtown Flint. So Flint is going to be prosperous again. You're confident of that. I think so. The next person I talked to was Tennessee County Circuit Judge Duncan Beagle. Duncan Beagle discussed what a Flintstone was and where it might have started from. And surprisingly, even talks about helping these uh, young Flint basketball players at the very start of their careers. Duncan Beagle gave his opinion about what a Flintstone is and also discusses whether he was a Flintstone himself. Duncan, you've helped a lot of kids and mentored a lot of kids along the way, especially athletes. Some of the more memorable ones for our entire community. We have all our favorites and we had some great moments watching uh, high school athletics. But we had a crew in 2000 that played, I think, one of the greatest coaches in the history of the college game, Tom Izzo. And we had four young men that went down to Michigan State and played for Izzo. Knew those people. You know, it's funny. I uh, When I was a practicing lawyer, I sponsored some uh, youth teams. We called them the Legal Beagles. We had a Beagle dog in the front of their shirts. But one of the teams I sponsored just happened to have a 11-year-old kid by the Mateen Cleves and one of his friends by the name of Robert Smith who ended up in the National Football League. As a result of that, I got to know those folks. There was Robert's brother, Antonio Smith. There was Charlie Bell, who was a Southwestern, of course, Morris Peterson, whose father was in education. And I think one of the best memories I have is not only following those guys all that year, tremendous pride they gave to the community, but at the spur of the moment, I got two guys and we went down to Indianapolis for the national championship game. Not knowing whether we would get any tickets or not. We were able to get tickets. We uh, went to the game and I couldn't sleep. The next morning, I went down to the hotel lobby where somebody had given us. The first person I ran into was Tom Izzo about six o'clock in the morning because he was going to do all the morning uh, talk show. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him for about 10 minutes. And uh, it was just one of those great memories where Flint was just being highlighted. You were very, very proud of those four young men from Flint, Michigan. Those guys became known as the Flintstones. Where did that come from? People called themselves Flintoids, I remember. Yeah. 
And Flintstones, I don't know. I don't remember it before then. Do you? Um, I It may have come from the cartoon character. And I can still remember somebody around town that uh, did a sketch of uh, the Flintstones and incorporated uh, our four basketball players into it. I don't know if that's exactly where it came from. But as you well know, there's stories that go around the community. But what a great nickname. People still talk about that when uh, when they talk about the history of basketball, especially college basketball. It'll go back to 2000. Those four young men from Flint, Michigan. Those guys, they represented something to the people of Michigan and especially to Flint. What was that they, they represented? You know, the interesting thing were four high schools in the community at that time. And as I recall, I think they attended three out of the four high schools. Uh, so the entire community uh, from each of those schools uh, really took a lot of pride. As I recall, I think two of them had educators in their family. I think Charlie Bell and, uh, and Morris Peterson. Teen Cleves had a father and mother that were well known around town. So I, I just, uh, it was one of those things I think we latched on to. Uh, the other thing, you know, when you think about Flint historically, it was work hard, play hard type community, a lot of blue collar people. And that's the way those guys played the game. If you knew anything at all about Mateen Cleese, boy, I'll tell you what, he was a born natural leader. He didn't become successful in the NBA, but in terms of a leader, you wouldn't have found a better one than Mateen Cleaves. Yeah, well, he, he was the number one draft pick. Yeah. And that's not so bad. Toughness and the uh, strength that they represented and the determination uh, came to represent to Flint exactly what it means to be a Flintstone, not just on a basketball mm-hmm. court, but in life. I'll tell you one other thing. I'm uh, talking to some of the coaches and athletic directors. We're going to try and create a Flintstone Classic uh, for the beginning of uh, high school basketball and see if there's any interest. And one of the reasons for it is to keep that uh, that history alive so a lot of young people realize uh, what these gentlemen were all about. What I've also experienced doing this podcast and talking to as many people as I have is that there are people now that refer to themselves as Flintstone. I think that's true. It's transcended sports. I think it has. What's it mean to be a Flintstone? That's a good in a, question. In a, in a bigger sense of the word, what what is it that a Flintstone means? And let me start out by asking, are you a Flintstone? Absolutely. I think it's uh, pride in your community, hard work, because every one of those guys worked at a trade, and they all became uh, successful. But I think it was their style of play. They were dedicated to their family and community, and they represented a community that they just knew how to if you remember the Pistons, I think they had that uh, image with Ben Wallace, uh, Lambeer, and some of those guys about that, uh, bring your lunch bucket and it's time to go to work. And I think all of them came from working families. And I think a lot of people in Flint, you know, certainly recognize. I agree with Duncan Beagle that the Flintstones, original Flintstones, were the young men all from Flint who joined the Michigan State University basketball team in the late 1990s. In 2000, of course, of their Michigan State University team won the NCAA National Championship for men's basketball. And these Spartan basketball players had Flint tattooed on their upper arms with a basketball above it. As they became known, several of the MSU Flintstones attended the same elementary school in Flint early as Beagle uh, made reference and played AAU basketball together. The Flintstone basketball players believed their brand of basketball embodied the values of their hometown. Flint's values and their minds were hard work, toughness, resilience, and determination. In fact, basketball coach Tom Izzo at Michigan State is quoted in national publications about the 
quote-unquote culture the Flintstones brought to the locker room in East Lansing. Izzo likes the toughness that the kids from Flint brought to his basketball teams. These young men were champions. The Flintstones were winners. It had been a long time in Flint since it was a winner in much of anything except high school sports. The other Flintstones, not on the basketball team, drew from the basketball Flintstones the notion that they could be winning in their own walks of life. That is what Flintstones do. The other Flintstones believe that Flint was once a great city where winners are born. The former residents want to return Flint to its former glory. In essence, they want to go back home to that place in time and in their memories to a golden age. Seemingly, in the view of many Flint expatriates, the Flint in their heads still exists. My next guest is Jeffrey the Valley, who is a gospel Grammy winner from Flint. He shares with us what it means to him. To Jeffrey the Valley, let me ask you one last question. Are you a Flintstone? Yeah. What does that mean yeah. to you? What does it mean to be a Flintstone? A Flint is a hard substance. When you, you talk about a flint, you can start a fire with flint. It's a hard substance with a hard, it can stand up against on its own. And flint to me, you know, with all that flint has been through, with the loss of General Motors and with the water crisis, we're still standing. You know? uh, we've been through a lot, but we're still here. No, I was not born here. I was born in Milwaukee, but I spent most of my life in the city of Flint. And I love, I repeat, love this city. I think it's a wonderful place to live. It's a wonderful place to raise a family. It's a wonderful place to make friends. It's a wonderful place to become involved in the uh, arts and, and doing whatever you want to do. You don't have to leave Flint. Right here. It's a wonderful place. What seems to have followed after more than 20 years after the Michigan State University's Spartan basketball team won the national championship is a regional identity tied to Flint's real or imagined blue-collar culture. By the end of 2021, I had interviewed well over 125 people for the Radio Free Flint podcast. The audience for this podcast includes many people who have long since moved away from Flint area. While talking with many expatriates, I sensed an unusual affinity with their homeland in the Flint area. Their responses were baffling. Even as someone who spent nearly all my life in Flint, what I expected to hear, the anger, bitterness, and self-pity the town experienced over the last five decades. When asking the guests if they were Flintstones, 99.5% answered yes. It mattered not if they were young, old, wealthy, poor, Republicans, or Democrats. One gentleman raised in South Texas even said he was a Texas Flintstone. The Flintstone identity was enthusiastic and close to universal. Their belief is that Flintstones of today are optimistic and highly confident about the future of Flint. The residents have endured many economic downturns. Flint's history shows the city will survive. This common identity takes on a life of its own because the people I interviewed, former or current residents, are resilient and have what it takes to survive. Flintstones also display firm beliefs that they can fix the problems facing the troubled town by themselves if necessary. The only question I have is, are these Flintstones hoping to fix the town that exists in their heads? 
or the one that everybody can see today use. The Flint expatriates developed an extraordinarily strong self-concept associated with so-called Flint values. The values of the former and current Flint residents centered around loyalty, hard work, toughness, and resilience. These Flintstones believed their values were part of the fabric of Flint. During the interviews, they often said they developed their Flintstone character because they are from The best analogy perhaps comes from the world of athletics, something for which Flint is well known nationally. Flintstone's identification with Flint appears to be akin to that of sports fans. Many sports fans stay profoundly true to their teams, at times widely so, even though they live far away in towns and cities across the nation. The Flintstones proudly display Flintstone t-shirts and hats, and some even go as far as to put tattoos with Flint emblazoned on their bodies. It all seems so complicated to understand. Why do grown people so strongly identify with the declining Rust Belt city they left behind long ago? What has followed in all these years, in spite of all of the problems that Flint has experienced through its many economic downturns, is a history that shows the Flintstones have a firm belief that they can fix the problems troubling Flint themselves. My next guest is Rico Phillips, who is a former Flint Fire Department fireman and also works for the Ontario Hockey League. And he shares with us his views about what is a lot of people in the Flint area, necessarily in the boundary, but a lot of people in the Flint area, they identify as Flintstone. Yeah. Do you <laughs> identify as a Flintstone? I absolutely identify as a Flintstone. In fact, in my acceptance speech of my award in, in Las Vegas, I said, Attaway Flintstone, trying to say Flintstones to my Flintstones and all kinds of words came out, but that's what I, I, the reason I say Flintstones, like when I think of a Flintstone, it's hard and it's, it's resilient. It's, it stands the test of time. And I think when I think of not just folks that I've worked alongside of, but the mentality of a lot of the people here, like you're going to you keep kicking at it. Anybody who's from Flint knows we can talk crap about our city if we want, but if you say one bad word about Flint, we're ready to go down with you, right? Because that's that Flintstone mentality. Part of the Flint character, according to the Flintstones, is it's marked primarily by its resilience. There have been several books written that explore the culture of the American Rust Belt communities. Several of these elegies, like eulogies, are usually backwards looking. Elegies sentimentally look back at people and places as if they were dead or dying. Let me assure you that the Flintstones see Flint as very much alive. The podcast interviews I conducted reveal a distinct culture in Flint that has as its baseline values extraordinary resilience and commitment to purpose. Flintstones have a history of overcoming hard times and challenges when it looks as if all is lost. More importantly, they are not giving up anytime soon on reclaiming their place as significant contributors to the American economy, its culture, and national life. What is it in Flint? Michigan's air that gives people the audacity to hope. What is it that makes Flintstone so confident their town will not meet the fate of so many other ghost towns? Is this just a part of unrealistic thinking in Flint? In the past, it took the disappearance of entire auto factories where some of these hard people could understand that the factories would be no more. Does Flint, Michigan have something embedded in its culture that gives the people an extra gear of adaptability? Do the Flintstones have some magical ability to roll with the punches of their roller coaster economy? This much is clear. 
Failure is not an option for the people who call themselves Flintstones. I will leave you to your own conclusions about Flintstones. However, the inferences I reached based on the evidence presented a more hopeful side to the people of America feels. The research and facts show a high probability of more sunrises and sunsets in Flint's future. Despite all the grim news of vanishing General Motors and poisoned water, there is resilience in Flint, Michigan. The toughness of the Flintstones is epic. Like its name, Flint has a strength of spirit that is part and parcel of the culture of the people in this working class enclave. Flint, as the hard stone is called, is from which to spark a fire in the history of From all we can see and imagine, the devastating loss of manufacturing jobs has perhaps made no more profound impact on any city than it has in Flint, Michigan. More than 80% of its modern-day high-paying General Motors jobs have vanished. The region lives in good measure on the handsome pensions and medical benefits of its auto work. That gravy train has rolled on without fail since Buick, Chevrolet, and General Motors were all founded in Flint about 125 years ago. The Flint area gets poorer one day at a time as these workers die and their General Motors pensions and benefits are no more. The money that once circulated with great velocity no longer feeds many of Flint's children. It is a town whose child poverty rates rival those of some third world countries. GM money no longer feathers the nest as it once did the local auto repair facility, the doctor, the dentist, auto dealers, or any of hundreds of businesses. As you look at Flint, it's cultural. Some people describe it, describe themselves with strong identity to the place. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Next is John Daly, the transportation director for the city of Flint, longtime public works administrator in Genesee County, was the head of the Genesee County Road Commission for his thoughts. My it's, wife is a Viking. Yes. Well, my question to you is, are you a Flintstone? I'm a Flintstone by marriage and by choice. If you're a Flintstone, what does that mean? It means, first of all, that I put, am especially concerned about the needs of the community, the residents thereof. And then the second thing is that I recognize that there's kind of a gestalt in, if you would, in the community that makes it different. This community is different. That doesn't mean it's easy. It just means it's different. In some aspects, it's significantly harder. It's resilient. I mean, most communities that if today, if they have been through what we've been through, I think would have collapsed. There is an inner resilience in the residents of Flint that they want to see this community move forward. And that's going to require leadership. It won't be easy. The path needs to be realistic and it's one that needs to be shared. There was a Flint before it was the birthplace of General Motors and there'll be a Flint. General Motors will always have a presence in Flint. I mean, clearly the number, its impact will change just as the automobile industry has changed. If we learn one lesson that has come out of the situation we've been in, I think, is don't be too dependent on any one thing. I want to take you now to Sandra Branch, who is the vice president of the Flint Public Art Project, for some comments. Flint is very resilient. It's in our name, Flint. You take two Flintstones, and we call ourselves Flintstones, and you hit them together, and what do you get? A spark. And I think that that's what we're all about. We're about that spark that's in humanity, that creativity, that succeeding above all odds. Flint's like a surfer. We ride the wave, whether it crashes or, or what happens, we get right back and run to the ocean and jump in again and ride that next wave. We're, we're a city that can't be kept down. You know, we keep coming back. Can't kill Flint. We're resilient. 
We have so many people from so many different places that have struggled and conquered all odds. We had the migration from the South where people came here from a sharecropping and, and made their fortunes and their families prospered. We've had um, people that came here, migrant workers, to go to Traverse City and, and pick fruit, and they've settled back here because Flint has a lot to offer. We look at our people that have come out of the industry, auto industry and they've started new businesses of their own. It's changing. We're no longer a one-horse town. I believe that we have to have hope. We have to have the audacity to think beyond predictions and think like Clarissa Shields, beyond all odds. From Flint, at a time when Flint was not doing well, she was proud to put on her vision board where she was from and what her goals are. And as a community, we have to do the same. We have to take our vision and put it on a board, and we have to live for that dream, and we have to make it happen. I don't know about government. Government has a long way to go on a national level and a local level. I'm not putting my faith in government. I put my faith in the people in the communities. I put my faith in the citizens of Flint. I put my faith in the fact that we are resilient and Flintstones, and we have the will to make it. And I put our future in the hands of the parents and the children that are coming that have that dream of making this a place to be proud of. I don't think we can look at the predictions from the prognosticators. I don't think we should listen to the media. I think that we should look in our hearts and our spirits and our souls and our history and make it that what we wanted. Uh, you've done a magnificent job in explaining what it means to be a Flintstone. Well, thank you. I, I'm proud to be a Flintstone. He said, don't you worry, people. I drink it all the time. Dr. Mona knew that the water was bad. She gathered all the research that she had. Released a study, that study said All your little children have been poisoned with lead Flint River water, tastes like turpentine Flint River water, tastes like turpentine They lied about the water Poison your children and lie to you You can tell them the facts They'll still say they're right They didn't have a truth Well, it's in plain sight Flint River water Tastes like turpentine 
water Tastes like turpentine 